Hey. All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Thanks for being here and worshiping with us. Thanks for just spending some time focusing on Jesus through our worship and through what we did at the communion table this morning. I, I know he is present right here with us. So I trust you are experiencing him in his fullness today. Uh, I wanted to spend a little time talking today, uh, not start a series, but uh, just kind of give you some thoughts on something moving into the fall. Uh, what are your plans for the fall? Do you, have, do you have any big ideas, anything that you've got scheduled with your family or by yourself? Are you plan a vacation? Anybody want to do a last minute before the season changes? Anybody doing home improvements? What, what plans are we making? I know, that, I know that there's professional football coaches all around uh, the country that are planning to go 16-0 and 0 this year, including the Steelers, right? And I don't, there's, here we go. Thank you for that. You know, you know, you go to other cities, you get amens during the service. You come to Pittsburgh, you get, here we go. Um, do you ever make a plan and then start to worry about it immediately after you made the plan? You, you're thinking, oh, we should do this. And then all of a sudden you start hearing all the voices of, well, what if this happens? What if this happened? This could go wrong. Why, why don't we do this? Oh, no, I couldn't do that. How many of you know that those voices are real, that worry tries to creep in as soon as we start to plan something, as soon as we decide in our heart, oh, we should go this direction? Worry really has a voice. And uh, I've seen people, go ahead and put that first graphic up there. Uh, Worrying, how many of you know somebody that worrying is their superpower? He says, using my powers of pure concentrated panic and anxiety, I can prevent bad things from happening, or so I tell myself. Come on, how many of you know people like that, that it seems like that's all they do is they sit around, they tell you all the reasons something's going to go wrong and why it's going to fall apart. And I, I want to put this other graphic up there this morning. We're going to talk about some things from Scripture, but because of my engineering background, I wanted to make a flow chart for you. So if you don't, if you don't remember anything I talked about from the Bible this morning, at least remember this flow chart. Use it all the time. Do you have a problem in life? If the answer is no, then why worry about it? If the answer is yes, you ask yourself, can I do something about it? If the answer is no, I can't do anything about it, then why worry about it? If the answer is yes, I can do something about it, do something about it, and then why worry about it? Come on, it's so simple. I'm I'm sorry, you might want something deeper this morning, but it's not rocket science here. We're, We're talking about planning versus worrying. How many of you can agree that worry is not good? Let's, let's at least go there this morning. We, we are all in agreement that worry is not good. I, I saw a quote that said, worry is a misuse of our imagination. Come on, God gave us a brain. He gave us creativity. He gave us the ability to plan and to think. And when we submit our imagination and our brain and our faculties to worry, we're misusing a gift that God has given us. Scripture says it this way in Proverbs twelve twenty five. It says, worry weighs a person down. Man, Worry can quickly go from a mental activity, something that we're just thinking about and all these things are coming into our head. It can become spiritual and it can even move into physical realities. When we start to worry, we we get our blood pressure starts to go up. Oh, what if this happens? You get tired sometimes thinking of all those things that are stressing you out and the worries that you're carrying. You get the hot sweats. You get the cold sweats. Come on, all these different things start to happen Because we entertain worry in our brain, and Scripture says that worry begins to weigh us down. And it keeps us from living the life that Jesus wants for us. We're actually commanded in Scripture not to worry. Look at your neighbor and say, don't worry. How how many of you, your neighbor answered, be happy? Come on, even, even the world has a, has a handle on this. Don't worry, be happy. Every little thing's going to be all right. Can we go there this morning? 
Come on, there's all kinds of things that we are commanded not to worry, even in Scripture. Jesus specifically told his disciples, don't worry about clothes or food or where you're going to live. How many of you have worried about any of those things this year? And Jesus specifically said, don't worry about any of those things. In fact, Jesus went on to say, worrying won't add a single moment to your life. I think it'll definitely rob some moments from your life. It'll shorten your life. But worrying will not add a single moment to your life. The giver, the author of life, Jesus himself, the one who came to release abundant life for us, said that the path to receive what I have for you doesn't include worry. You want, to, you want to shipwreck, you want to circumvent what Jesus has to give you and the abundant life that he came to release, spend some time worrying. And that's what will happen. I, I thought of it this way, worry will intercept what God wants to give to you. How many of you saw a wonderful football game on the Thursday night where there... <laughs> If you're, if you're a West Virginia fan, uh, sorry about your loss. If you're a Pitt fan, you're celebrating, and Penn State, we don't care about you. Um, you can say all kinds of things from the pulpit, but when you, when you start meddling with that, that's, you're in trouble. Come on, there was, there was a pass that the West Virginia quarterback thought, this is going to be a blessing. We're going to get some yards. We're going to score. And it went right through that guy's hands into the arms of a pit re, uh, defensive back. And it went for a pick six. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Get back to the word of God, Pastor Chris, please, quickly. Come on, yay God. Whatever you thought about that play, there, there is a picture in there that God wants to send blessings to our lives. And if we worry about it, it's like the enemy intercepting the blessing that was meant for us and returning it for a score against us. Don't let the enemy do that to you. I'm not saying that Pitt is the enemy. That was a wonderful play and God blessed it. Anyway, later on in scripture, Paul says it this way in Philippians 4, 6. He says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Come on, I told you it wasn't too deep and complicated this morning. Doesn't that sound simple? Doesn't it sound wonderful? Like, I don't have to worry about anything. I just have to pray about it. How many of us forget to pray sometimes? I'm, I, am, I am the king. I'm gonna, I will tell on myself. We'll be in difficult situations. Something will come up. I start to worry about it. I start to fret about it. I start to tell Pam, this is what's going on. And she says, did you pray about it, Pastor Chris? <laughs> yeah, Ouch. It's so simple. Why do we forget it? He says, don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Because what prayer does, prayer invites the supernatural power of God into our circumstances. He shows up to change things that we can't change on our own. We can spend a lot of time worrying about them and it doesn't change a thing. But the moment we pray, it invites God's presence into it and says, Lord, I need you to do something about this. I I personally think that unbelief is at the root of all worry in our lives. And I just think unbelief says, oh God, he's really not powerful enough to do something about this. He, he doesn't care about me enough to do something about this. He doesn't have enough resources to take care of my situation. Come on, that's all unbelief. And unbelief tries to creep in and worry just begins to feed that. And it's, that is what's at the root of all worry is we don't believe that God is big enough to take care of what we're going through. Can I get at least one amen on that? Or, or, maybe, or maybe a here you go, since we're in Pittsburgh and we said that already. 
Come on, let's believe. Instead, pray about everything. Let's believe that God is able to do something about what we're going through. And I wanted to talk a little bit today. There is a big difference between planning and worrying. Come on, you can make plans for what's going to happen next, or you can worry about what's going to happen next. There is a difference. I want to just give you a couple thoughts on how do we tell that difference? How do we stay in a healthy place of planning and knowing what's next and planning for it versus worrying about what's coming next? Uh, There are really destructive things that happen when we worry instead of just planning and praying. Uh, So the first thing I want to give you, uh, I put put the title up there this morning, uh, Don't Plan to Worry. Come on. That on the surface, please don't plan to worry. Leave that out of your schedule. Don't put it in there. Don't plan on worrying at all. But if you want to worry, don't plan. See what I did there with that title? Anyway, the, the first thing I want to tell you, the difference between planning and worry. Planning is doing what you can. Worrying is stressing about what you can't. Come on. Worry, worry won't prevent bad stuff from happening in our lives, but it will keep us from enjoying the good stuff that happens. Come on, planning, we, need to, we forget sometimes the difference between what we have control over and what we don't have control over. Put your hand on your chest and say, this is what I have control over. Right here, that's it. We, it doesn't extend to the person next to you. It doesn't extend out the front door. It doesn't go anywhere. Right here, this is what I have control over in my life. As much as we would like it sometimes, the fruit of the Holy Spirit does not include other control. It only includes self-control. That's, that's what he's developing in our lives. That's what he wants. And we can't worry about what other people can do. Uh, we get to decide what happens with me and the things that God has placed into my life. My gifts, my talents, my resources, whatever he's given to me. That's what I can do. And God designed it that way. Isn't he amazing that he trusted us enough to give us gifts and talents and resources. That he didn't just say, hey, I'll tell you what to do with that now. I'll micromanage everything in your life. He gave us stuff and he says, I'm developing self-control in you so you get to decide what happens with your stuff. And planning is saying, I'm going to do what I can with what I've been given. But worrying says, I'm going to think about everything else that's going on, whether I have control over it or not. Uh, here's, a, here's a good th- way to think of it. In 2 Corinthians 9, we talk about God giving us stuff and we get to decide what to do with it. 2 Corinthians 9.10 says, God, who supplies seed for the sower and bread to eat, will also supply you with all the seed you need and will make it grow and produce a rich harvest from your generosity. This is what I can do. I can sow seeds. I can take what I've been given. I can plant it. And come on, this isn't just about money. Even, even though we, we just received an offering, we've been talking about the pavilion, this is talking about I can sow seeds of kindness. I can invest time in a relationship. I can do things with the gifts and talents I've been giving to sow them, to plan, and expect for a harvest to come back from what I've sown. God will give the seed, and he will cause it to grow and give us a harvest out of it. Scripture often talks about the importance of sowing a seed and planning for a harvest. Planners sow seeds. Warriors hoard what they've been given. Did you ever go through a season like that? You're looking at the bank account and you're thinking, I can't give any of this away right now. That's what warriors do. Planners say, I'm going to trust God, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to sow seeds to receive a harvest. Planners create new habits. Warriors act like victims. 
whatever's going to happen to me, I'm just afraid of it all the time. But planners say, I can change this. I can do something with my time and my resources I've been given. I can't sow somebody else's seeds, but I can use the gifts and talents I've been given. I can do something with what he's given me. He has entrusted resources to us. I don't, and this is not a comparison. This is not like worry about the person's bank account next to you or what gifts and talents they have. This is just talking about what has he given me that I get to decide to make a plan of what to do with it. I think God loves when we have a plan. Do you ever find that in your life? He may come and adjust it. He may tweak it. He may say, do this a little differently. But he loves it when we have a plan because it keeps us forward focused and it keeps us moving. What's the, the old cliche is it's easier to steer a moving car. Maybe you've never heard an old cliche of that. Maybe I'm too old that I've heard old cliches. Come on, there is something to that. Get, if you don't believe me, go out to your car in the parking lot after service and try to turn that wheel without starting the engine. Man, that's hard. You can't move that thing anyway. But as soon as you start rolling it, just a little bit, you can start to steer it and direct it. I think that's why God loves for us to make a plan because he says, hey, at least you're moving. I may need to adjust it, but you're heading in the right direction. You're not stuck. You're not looking in the past. Thank you, God, for a brain to make a plan. We can plan. We can plant things. We can position ourselves to receive from him. Here's a helpful reminder, though. One of the things we can't control is the outcome. How many of you have ever tried to control an outcome? As soon as your situation involves somebody else, that's almost impossible to do. And this is, this is what Paul says about in 1 Corinthians 3, 6. He says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. Come on, I got nothing to do with the growing and the harvest part. I can plant, I can water, I can sow, I can plan, I can have an expectancy stirred in myself, but God is the one that I have to trust to give the harvest. Healthy planning says do what you can do. Unhealthy planning says spend all your time worrying about what you can't do. So here's, here's another way that you can tell the difference between planning and worry. Uh, planning works with what is Worry fears the what-ifs. Did you ever spend some time going over a list of what-ifs? That list can go on forever and ever. Planning is not passive. It's productive. It's action-focused. What do we have? Anybody old enough to remember MacGyver? Okay, now, uh, maybe that cliche was too old, but now I'm in the realm of at least you're in in the room, you remember MacGyver. Come on, what was his big deal? What was the shtick about MacGyver? What do we have? Man, we need to blow up this whole building or crack this safe. Oh, you've got a toothpick and bubble gum. Yes. Come on. What do you have in your life? God's given us something. It may look like a toothpick and bubble gum. It may look like loaves and fishes. I don't care what it is, but he's given us something. And if he's given it to us, it's something he can use to make something happen. And that's what healthy planning does. It looks around. You start by making an inventory. What do I have? What can I give? What can I sow? What has he given me? Worrying is paralyzing, though, and it never leads to action. It dismisses, like, oh, you've only got that. You could never do anything with that much. Do you ever hear that voice? Come on. Not not that you're hearing voices or you have... You know what I mean when I say hearing the voices, the, those whispers that come in your mind and says, oh, you can't even attempt that because what you have is too little to give. 
And God's looking at it and saying, just a couple loaves and fish, watch what I could do with that. Even better, God is better than MacGyver. He can take things that don't make any sense, don't look like there would be any way for anything to happen, and he says, watch what I can do. When, when we plan, start building with what you've been given. I knew early on, I'm not sporty. You may not have realized that. You may think, Pastor Chris, you look like a professional athlete. <laughs> that gene skipped a generation in my family. My, my granddad played football at University of Arkansas. My dad was 6'2". He was good at every sport he ever played. I stink. Like, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. Oh, man. Can I tell you one story? All right. So the last year that my dad was alive, in, in 2008, he came to Virginia, and I took him out to play a round of golf because dad loved to golf. He was even good at golf. It didn't matter. Basketball, football, golf. He, he could do all the sports. Yay, sports. Um, <laughs> We go out to the golf course. Dad is in the last couple months of his life. He's, he's so weak, we couldn't even play 18 holes. We only played nine holes. We get up on the first tee box. I hit the most beautiful golf shot I have ever hit in my entire life. It was straight. It was right down the middle. It rolled up about 10 yards off the green. Dad got up. He took a swing at it. It dribbled about 50 yards out in front of the tee box. And he looks like, oh, my gosh. I'm so weak, I can hardly hit the ball. Chris must have gotten good. I don't know how I'm going to participate today. We both made a seven that hole. (laughs) Dad won that day. And then in January, he passed away. And, and I came home with Pam. We came to take the church. And about three to six months after, uh, after we came home to Pittsburgh, I think it was Robert, came up to me. And he says, Chris, just need to let you know that your dad came home from Virginia last fall. And he said, Chris is so bad at golf that even a critically ill cancer patient can beat him. And if you knew my dad, you know exactly, you could hear him saying that, as a matter of fact. Oh, it was awesome. So I take inventory of the gifts I've been given. I love the Bible. I can't do sports. I knew this was a potential thing I needed to do as a calling and a profession in life. I knew professional athlete was not in the cards for me because I took stock of what I've been given. And sometimes it's okay to start there. If you're a planner, you say, what has God put in my hands that I can do something with? And begin to do something with what he's given us. I know everybody has gifts because the Bible talks about it. It says each one of us in Ephesians, each one of us has been given something. Find your something and just start to do something with it. Make a plan about it. Uh, You guys remember, if if you're familiar at all with this passage in Matthew 25, there was a story about the guy that the boss gave amounts of money to some of his workers. He had three guys come in. He says, hey, I'm going to give you all some money. I'm going to go on a trip. I want you to do something with your money while I'm gone to, to bring a return for me. The first two guys that he talked to, they had a plan. They said, hey, I'm going to invest it. I'm going to do a business. I'm going to do something. They doubled their money. 
And the, the boss came back and he said, you guys have done great. You invested your money. You made double. Like, this is awesome. What did the third guy do? Does anybody in the room remember the story? What did he do? He buried it in the ground. And the boss came back and said, what would you do with my money? And the guy still had the same amount that he was given at the beginning. And this is what he said to the boss in Matthew 25, 25. He said, I was afraid that I would lose your money. So I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. Fear and worry are best friends. They go hand in hand. That servant spent more time worrying about and going through the checklist of the what ifs. If I open a chicken restaurant, Chick-fil-A and Popeye's will open right down the street. If I invest in the stock market, there's going to be a crash and I'll lose all the money. Come on, the, the list of what ifs is endless. You can go through all the things that you think are going to happen that are bad. And we never take any action because of it. It'll paralyze us. That's what worry does and fear gets in on the action. If you read the end of that parable, the guy that worried and was afraid, the boss actually calls him a wicked and lazy servant. Can I tell you those are not words you want to hear from the boss? Come on, even, even in the natural, whatever job you're working in your profession, you don't want to have the boss come in someday and say, you're a wicked and lazy servant. That's not going to end well. And that's what fear and worry does. It causes us to give in to those things, to yield to it and say, I'm, I, I believe God would rather have you take a risk and fail than worry and do nothing. Can we, can we be that plain about it? Of just do something and I'll move in your life. I'd rather see you take a risk than sit back and just sit on the gifts and the talents that I've given you. <laughs> oh, Jesus, thank you for your word to us. Here's, here's another way that you can tell the difference between planning and worry. This is the last one I'll give you this morning. Planning is, a, is proactive progress, and worry is a treadmill that goes nowhere. Woo! And music helps us move forward, too. I hear that somewhere. Um, we got that slide up there? Or is this the slide? Has the worry slide been up the whole time that I've been talking? Like, now I'm worried about what's going on behind me. Like... And I'm afraid, and I'm, my palms are sweating now, and I'm, I'm anxious about all this stuff. <laughs> oh, Lord. Planning is a proactive process. It's progress. It moves us forward. It, it, if nothing else, it gets us out of the past, and it gets our eyes on the future. What's going to happen next? And I, I saw this quote. It says, worry is like a rocking chair. It'll give you something to do, but it never gets you anywhere. Man, all this effort. You could rock faster. You could rock harder, you could, but that chair is not going to move anywhere. Well, it might fall off the porch, I guess. Or... If you're going to Cracker Barrel later, I want you to sit on that front porch in one of those rocking chairs and remember this message. Like, this is like worrying. Like, oh, <laughs> oh I'm derailed now. I got to get back on it. Come on. You might have something bad. Uh, something bad might happen if we take a risk. But I think planning and being healthy about it instead of worrying, planning says, I'm going to learn from what happened in this situation. I think what worry does is worry assumes like, oh, if I fail, if something bad happens, that's going to happen every time. There's never going to be a success. I'm always going to experience that. That's what worry gets you on a treadmill of thinking there's no success in my future. But planning says, hey, even if it doesn't go right, 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to adjust. I'm going to learn from them. I'm going to grow. How many of you are thankful for the hard lessons in life that helped you grow? Come on, they weren't pleasant at the time. If I asked you in the middle of the situation, you're probably not thinking, I'm thankful for this right now. But later, look what God has built in my character. Look at what he's done in me. I have faith now. I can trust him. He didn't abandon me through the last thing I went through, and he's not going to abandon me now. There are things that we grow when we go through those difficult circumstances. But worry wants to keep us on that treadmill. It's always going to be this bad. Here's, here's the last example from Scripture. Here's, here's some of the things that Paul planned. In Romans 15, 24, he's writing to, to his friends. He says, I am planning to go to Spain. And when I do, I will stop off in Rome. And after I have enjoyed your fellowship for a little while, you can provide for my journey. <laughs> Doesn't that sound great? Like, hey, it's all going to be roses. Like, I'm going to stop by to see you. I'm going to go to Spain. We're going to enjoy our fellowship together. I'm, I'm going I'm to even tell you about what I'm going to do so you have an opportunity to sow into my ministry. I, I think he said it in that voice. You get to sow into my ministry. Anyway, this is the chosen apostle of God to the Gentiles who's telling you he's writing inspired scripture. And he's writing this letter. He says, here's my plan man, going to go to Spain, going to go to Rome. It's going to be awesome. We're going to fellowship and you're going to give. Sounds great. You know what? There is no evidence in church history that Paul actually ever visited Spain. There, there are some traditions that say he might have at some point, but there's no actual verified recorded account that he did what he said his plan was in this verse. In fact, these, these are the types of things that actually happened to Paul. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four. Come on, remember the great plan the apostle of God had, man of God on the move. And 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four says, Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> That doesn't sound at all like his plan. That wasn't how things were supposed to go. That, and that was just part of the list. There's, there's several more verses of went on. And the voice of worry would come and say, I knew that was going to happen. See, you shouldn't have taken that risk. You should just quit. Anybody ever hear that voice? Look how bad it went. You're such a failure. You should just quit. Give it up. Oh, my dear Lord. Like, I'm, I'm actually thinking about, like, what a problem suicide is in our country right now because of the voice that says you should just quit and give up. And it starts maybe with just a little seed or a nugget of worry. And that worry begins to blossom. Fear gets a hold of it. It begins to grow until somebody believes that voice that says you should just quit. And they quit permanently. Man. You know what happened in Paul's life? In spite of those setbacks, the gospel was still preached. People got saved. They came to know the goodness of God. Paul never got abandoned. In fact, we we talked a couple months ago that when he's in the middle of the ship in the storm at sea, an angel of God appeared to him and says, don't worry about a thing, Paul. It it may be a hard time. The ship's going to get wrecked, but you're going to be okay because God's with you. What we call setbacks, God looks at as learning opportunities and character builders and a chance to prove his faithfulness. Paul going through that stuff, in spite of his plan needing to be adjusted or not working out like it said, this is the lesson that Paul learned. Philippians 4.12 
This doesn't sound like worry. This doesn't sound like living in the past. This doesn't sound like fear. Philippians 4.12 says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or what, in want. How many of you would like to know that secret? Like no matter what comes my way, whether I'm on top of the world, whether I've got money in the bank account, or I'm broke and looking for where is my next meal coming from, I've learned a secret to get through every one of those things. And Paul's so gracious that he tells us in the very next verse. He says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Because Paul refused to live defined by worry and to hear that voice, because he kept following God, he kept planning, he kept using the gifts he was given, Paul passed along one of the greatest secrets to Christian living that was ever recorded in Scripture. I can do all things because Jesus is the one that gives me strength. Man, I do, I do have an action item, but let's just pray real quick. If, if you know somebody, like even back to the suicide thing, if you know somebody that they are in such despondency that you're actually worried about them, like their mental health is in question, or, or even if you're in this room or listening to the sound of my voice and you've been hearing that voice that says you need to quit, let's just pray right now. Father God, we thank you that you are a giver of life. That it is the enemy, the enemy of our very soul that wants to steal and to kill and to destroy. And you have come, Lord Jesus. You came, you died on the cross and rose again so that we could have life. And not just any kind of life, but abundant life. The life that goes above and beyond what we could ever experience even in the natural. And Lord, we ask right now for anybody in our sphere of influence or anybody listening right now that would be contemplating giving in to that voice that says you need to quit. You need to just end it. We just speak your life right now. We ask that you would come and demolish the arguments and the words of the enemy. All those thoughts that have arrayed themselves and set themselves up against your word and your desire, we just tear them down right now, Lord Jesus, and we speak life over these people. God, you love them. Whoever them, whoever they are, whatever name, whatever face is popping up in our mind right now, your love for them is great. And we just speak that over them right now. Protect lives, Lord Jesus, and bring them into a knowledge of you. He is a God of life. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hmm. So this is where I want to land this morning. This is, this is the action item that I have for us even this weekend. Man, carry that with you, that life that we just prayed about. When you encounter somebody, even this afternoon, this week, just begin to speak that life speak purpose, speak destiny, speak hope. Even that hand, the picture we saw this morning of a hand reaching out to say, I'm, I want you to come along. I want to know you. I want to lift you up out of where you are. We have the ability to carry that from this place into where we go in the lives of people we encounter. This is the action item I have for you this week. Do a worry inventory. Just ask God, even some of these things that we talked about this morning, just begin to sit down and say, am I planning? Am I being healthy about this? Or am I worrying about it? And if you discover that there's worry in your life at any place, root that out. Get rid of it. Maybe, maybe you need to call somebody in the church. Maybe you need to talk to somebody. Hey, remind me of what pastor said on Sunday. Or, hey, do you have a scripture for me? Tell me something I can stand on. Help me get through this. I'm really worried about this situation. And I know it's not healthy. I believe God will, will show us. 
when we look at our upcoming plans, when we look at what's going on in our life, he'll highlight things we need to eliminate and get rid of. Let's go ahead and stand together. One of, one of the best things that you can do to eliminate worry and embrace hope in a future, if you've never done it before, is you can start a relationship with Jesus. You can say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you went to the cross for me, and I want to ask you to come be the Lord of my life, that you are a Savior, that you died on the cross to free me from having to worry and to plan and to, to do things in my own strength. If you need to do that this morning, I'm just going to encourage you, after we dismiss, uh, come up front, see Scott and Onda over here on my left, your right. They'd be happy to pray with you, or Tammy's in the back, uh, some of the ministry team. They'd be happy to pray with you and introduce you to Jesus this morning and tell you what it means to follow him. Lord Jesus, we come before you right now thankful for your great love that that love that we, we can't even fathom it, that love caused you to step out of heaven, out of eternity, to come live this life as a man, to suffer and to die and to raise again, to demonstrate that you conquered death, hell, and the grave. Thank you that that love caused you to do that, and we can receive that this morning. God, I ask that the things that we do and say when we leave this place, let it be motivated by that same type of love, let us see with your eyes. Let us look at situations from heaven's perspective. Let us be distributors and carriers of your love into every situation. God, I thank you that you've given us hope to carry to the world. You've given us good news to share with people. You've given us news that is news of a life and an abundant life that we can have right now. God, I thank you for anyone right now that is even in a hard place, in a difficult place in life. I thank you that you remind us that you are with us, that you are a faithful God, that you don't desert us no matter what happens. We say we love you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for your presence in this place today. We thank you for your good hand upon our lives. We honor you now in Jesus' name. Amen.